It's me, Sponsport. I love you. Here's a promotional message. Today's episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Glad I get to speak to you. Marilyn's Diary, A Long Journey Home, Episode 2. Hello, Diary. It's me again. We're still on our journey, and although things aren't going entirely to plan, we're at least making some progress. We've got some stops scheduled on the way so we can pick up food, fuel, and water. It's almost like a road trip from the movies. (laughs) Only we're in space. And one of us is a computer. And one of us is part cow, part human, part wasp. I'd watch it. It'd make a change from the endless remakes. So the next place on our trip was Utelitalpa, a planet that was a few days' travel away. It was small, green-brown, circling a sun that provided a warm, dull light. It seemed like we were back on track again. There was a fast travel hub that we could reach after a few weeks of journeying, if Paolo's map was correct. So all we could do in the meantime was relax and enjoy the scenery. And the scenery on Utilitalpa was very beautiful, if a little too green and brown for my tastes. Because of my eyes, which are resoundingly Gontanan, I see colors on a different range to human beings. The lack of UV coloration present was depressing, casting the whole planet into a dull, graying twilight. The vegetation here seemed to be solely photosynthesized, with pollen thrown about on a harsh wind so there were no flowers, few insects, and no birds that I could see. We touched down on the outskirts of a town, hoping to trade for some food and fuel. Although we still had some of the amazing fruits from Paolo's space station, I didn't want to run too low. I seem to be developing a taste for sugar, which I'm pretty certain isn't good for my cow physiology. Although, Gontanans do subside on a diet that is heavily nectar-based, so I guess that's something. You were going to talk about the storyteller. Oh, yes, him. So, we touched down on the outskirts. The planet had been visited by outside races before and had rudimentary space transport, but wasn't exactly a hub being on the outer edges of space. When we touched down, we found that there was someone almost right outside the door. Someone who appeared to be hiding in a tree. His name was Jeffrey, and he was terrified. He was having a really, really bad day. There was a hunt passing through the woods, and it seemed that he was the quarry. The main beings on this planet were reptilian, walking upright on two back legs, and, much like me, making use of four arms... I'm not sure how Jeffrey thought he was going to escape from his pursuers in his tree, but he explained that he was a storyteller, not a wood safety specialist. This planet, apparently, was what computer called... What did you call it? An extreme meritocracy. That was it. A 
very extreme meritocracy. As a younger man, Jeffrey had been renowned for his storytelling, captivating audiences. And in a world where you live purely on the merit of your output, he managed to make a comfortable living. But then he developed, um, what would you call it? Maybe a visual stammer? That sounds right. Part of their communication is through the color of their skin. So a combination of words and coloring form a vivid backdrop to their stories. But sometimes, Jeffrey's coloring would just go plain wrong. It would flicker or fade to gray. Instead of plants, the vivid colors of the planet were in its people. A backdrop of green and gray sank into the background as they told their stories. Jeffrey offered to tell us his most popular story. The tale of the founding of their society. There was once a young boy, Rowan, who worked as a delivery boy at a bakery. The bakery was beginning to fail, and Rowan could see exactly why. His boss, Siren, longed to make art instead of baking, but he'd been left the bakery by his father and saw no other way to make a living. Rowan, on his delivery route, found another who was unhappy with their life path, a woman named Kaida who had inherited an art studio, but longed instead to follow her true passion, baking. Rowan looked far and wide and realized that people were wasting their lives in jobs they inherited. Rather than pursuing what they were good at, they were instead following the roles set out for them by their family. Rowan set out to change this. First, he introduced Siren to Kaida and, after a long and complicated agreement was written out, persuaded them to swap career paths. The bakery and the art studio both became highly successful, drawing clients from across the city. But Rowan wasn't done there. He astounded people by becoming the first ever recruitment consultant. He would go from place to place, testing people's skills and assigning them new roles. Rowan's message spread far and wide. The people needn't follow their inherited career paths if they weren't suited, and for a while, society was a good, productive place to be in. We flourished. Science and the arts both developed wildly in leaps and bounds. But then, calamity struck. People started just doing what they liked instead of what they were good at. And this meant they were no longer participating as helpful and productive members of society. And that is when growth stopped. Because if everyone wants to be something they're not good enough to be, society will grind to a halt. So, it was decided there would be a penalty to make sure everyone was truly pursuing a useful and that those incapable or unwilling to contribute to society would be discouraged from their course. While some thought it harsh, everyone soon realized that it was the right and proper thing to do to keep their society flourishing. And soon, everything was brought back to rights again. And even now, a golden statue of Rowan stands in the main square of our most prosperous city. to admit that his story left me cold. The message was a little strange. 
and it didn't really explain why he was hiding in a tree. Here's a message from Otomnagon. Mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Patreon. Support your favorite repairman so we don't have to. Find the link in the show notes or at patreon.com slash battlebirdprod. Automnicon. We own you. Exactly, that meant he was being hunted. And that was when he explained the penalty. He told us that the planet of Utelitalpa was a true, pure meritocracy, meaning that once people had lost their use, they were considered a drain on society, and then they were deemed to have become the lowest level of creature, the sanctioned. And then they were hunted. Ah, the most dangerous game. I think there are more dangerous games. At least for the hunters. Hmm. Uh, never mind. So, the ruling was that the outsider, the sanctioned, had to prove that they were worthy of rejoining society by surviving a night of being hunted. And then they could train as something new, start from the bottom up again. And Jeffrey, if he survived, was going to apprentice in making dough. I didn't understand why this was the first track he'd gone down. Wouldn't it be more logical for him to do something akin to his life's work? He still had his words, even if he didn't have his colors. But he explained it was more important to survive. If society couldn't make use of him as a storyteller, he would have to change himself to fit what society required. And at the moment, they required dough. We followed him, with his permission, and helped him set up a camp. His coloring was still hiccuping. From time to time, he became a vivid orange, or flashed pink spots. Not ideal, against the dull background of greens and grays that made his stories so vivid. The hunters came. They were those who had risen highest in their professions, given the chance to kill the sanctioned as a performance bonus. A great honor, apparently. I hid in the trees above Jeffrey's camp, ready to give him warning if anyone approached. And after a while, they came. I could feel them before I could see them. Three minds hunting, their lust for blood, a bright, sharp taste in my mouth. A fourth there, because he'd been told to be, was far more hesitant. They were armed, and I just couldn't let him die. It didn't seem fair. So, instead of calling down to warn Jeffrey, 
I reached out into their minds. Gently, not like with the slugs. I just made them unable to see him. Made them unaware of the plume of smoke that showed our location. Made them turn back the way they came. I didn't tell Jeffrey. Didn't mention the barbs I snuck into their minds. Didn't tell him about the headaches they developed. I didn't mention the nausea they suddenly felt at the prospect of killing another of their species or of their desire to just go home and rest. As far as he knew, Jeffrey was just... lucky. And when daybreak came, he was a survivor. He could go and begin an unfulfilling career as a dough mixer. And perhaps progress to Baker, someday. We offered him passage off of the planet, but he declined. He was happy to stay, keen to remain a member of the society that cast him out and left him to be hunted. As he left, he turned, smiled. After all, he said, he'd hunted a few sanctioned in his time. It's the cycle of things. It's the way people learn. <laughs> he went off to make bread, and we returned to our ship. We were able to stock up on food, a kind of dried fish for the most part, and fuel the ship. <sighs> well, we won't be rolling that out in Gontano. Hopefully there'll be a new Rowan someday. Catch you next time, diary. second episode of Marilyn's Diary, A Long Journey Home. Marilyn was played by Francesca Mintov-Chish, Computer was played by James Carney, and Jeffrey was played by Lem Grady. The programme was written by Beth Crane and produced by Headley Knights for Battlebird Productions. We'd like to say a special thanks to Alex E for their support on Patreon. We use the donations we receive from Patreon, Coffee, and PayPal to pay our actors, pay ourselves, and run the show. We are so, so grateful for all that you do for us. If you want to support We Fix Space Junk, visit battlebird.productions or see the show notes. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. I got this really strange email last night. I need to see what's going on with this mystery file. Hey, it's a map of a town called Ocean Bay. Someone sent these images to you for a reason. I'm so lost right now. When was the last time you chose a direction and followed it? I'm going to Ocean Bay. We don't get many tourists this time of year. Ocean Bay is a friendly town, but we're not that friendly. I never sent you an email. I don't even know you. And why exactly are you here? The map is the reason we're here. Maps help when you're lost. Do you know what a trap street is? Trap streets aren't real. They don't exist. Don't trust anyone unless they give you a reason to trust them. I, I think he's dead. How could so much damage happen to a human body in such a short period of time? What the hell is going on here? From the creators of Strange Air. This is Trap Street. So maps can have secrets. Yes, maps can have secrets.